The project evaluating the gridless model, whether it's sustainable under various price scenarios, whether it's sustainable in the local environment with water resources, like that is a vital research project for humanity. We're talking about the potential for tens of millions of people, let's say, conservatively, to get electricity who don't have it. This is kind of a project we desperately need and people aren't doing it. Hello there, Bitcoiners, how are you doing? I had an amazing weekend. I went to see Muse last night at the MK Bowl, took my kids. We rocked out. We loved it. Also, my boys, Rail Bedford, they're back in training. and We've made eight new signings. Very excited about this season. I think we've got a good chance of winning another league title. And listen, I know some of you don't like the football stuff. It's just a Bitcoin project. Just think of it as another Bitcoin project. And if we're winning... Maybe Bitcoin's winning. Anyway, listen, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Iris Energy, the largest NASDAQ-listed Bitcoin miner using 100% renewable energy. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I've got Troy Cross back on the show, joined by Margot Pires, and we're going to get into the political side of Bitcoin. Now, this is a super interesting conversation because over the last year or so, we've made a conservative effort to have more progressives, more liberals, more lefties on the show because... We know for Bitcoin to succeed, it has to get through to all ends of the political spectrum. And now we've had Troy on the show a bunch of times. We had Margot on the show a while back. By the way, if you didn't listen to that, go and check that out. And for us, Bitcoin does have a bit of an image problem. And for us, it's important to keep it apolitical. And to do that, we have to have voices from across the political spectrum because Bitcoin is a place where people can come together and find out the things they agree on, especially with regards to monetary sovereignty. And so we get into that, but we also get into some of Margot's struggles with Bitcoin in the academic side of things. I think you'll enjoy hearing about that. But yeah, super cool discussion. I love Margot. I love Troy. If you have any questions about this or anything else, please do get in touch. You can email me. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Hi, Margot. Hi, Peter. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me back. That's okay. Hello, Troy. Hey, Peter. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Good, good. Um, so, appreciate you coming in uh, for the first meeting of the Woke Bitcoin Council. <laughs> 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 we need t-shirts. People are going to take this that seriously. <laughs> this moment. And they're going to be they're going to be fucking fuming. It's okay. It's nothing new. They're going to be fuming and they're going to be tapping. Not only are they woke, it's also a council. It's a council. Oh, Who yeah. appointed them? Foundation. Foundation. <laughs> yes. It's the new world order. We can make this worse and worse. So uh, we were talking about Danny's uh, stalker, Derek. Shout out Derek S. Oh, yeah. I still think it's my brother. I think it's Andrew Bailey. Do you, do you think it's Andrew Bailey? That's Well, cute. he posts it more than anyone. I think it's, I think it's my brother. No. I just don't think he would do. Do you know about Danny Stalker? This guy comes on YouTube every show and says the weirdest stuff. <laughs> yeah, maybe. So you got a stalker? A little bit, yes. A little bit. I don't, I'd rather not say anything because it's too oh is this too the, scary this is the screenshot you sent me yeah this is oh a real stalker good lord this, this is no re- this is real this is not Derek S material <laughs> actual stalker yeah, yeah on twitter yeah wow. it's easy to forget how creepy uh guys can be <laughs> yeah uh yeah it's just super creepy it's not just a guy likes you it's pretty it can be very graphic 
like explicit comment, like very sexually explicit comments <laughs> about you, me and also sometimes about you, Troy, and sometimes about Andrew it, Bailey <laughs> as uh, well. Speaking yeah. of Andrew. Is it, is it Derek S? <laughs> Der- Derek no, is Derek's a very guy. distinctive style. Yeah. And he's only into Danny. This, yeah. Is he, uh, is, is this dude into some kind of woke Bitcoin group sex thing? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just her. Ex- no, he. I don't know. Have if you I can br- even say this? You can't. All. You can say it. I We're enabling it. Everybody wants to hear it, it. It's actual harassment. Like it's way over any line for. He, like I would, I would take out a restraining order. But if, have you not blocked them? No, I have not blocked them because I don't want them to, you know, flip out and do something crazy. <laughs> so I just try to be nice. Mm, okay. But they don't like your penis. <laughs> they don't like your penis. <laughs> what? <laughs> How did this get into I the conversation? <laughs> God damn it, Margot. I really hate Troy's penis. <laughs> yeah, I don't bring these th- I don't bring these things up. But I, they- I also don't like Troy's penis. I'm just gonna do that as well. <laughs> well, I think you win the stalker wars. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. I'll take that trophy now. Thanks. Well, anyway, welcome back to What Bitcoin Did. <laughs> we uh, we loved having you on the show last time. It's good to see you again. Good to pair you up here with Troy. Yeah, that's uh, great. I um, I'm yeah, I'm going to say this with warnings for the triggered people, but I'm enjoying this growth of this uh, collective of uh, what do you say, liberal Bitcoiners, progressive Bitcoiners. Uh, I think it's a really good thing. I love that Jason's got his book out there now. It's done very well. Uh, I love this separate community is building up that. It feels to me like it's a, a community of people who are still rejecting a lot of what's coming from the state, but more from the left side of the political spectrum. I think it's a good thing. I think it's good for Bitcoin. Yeah, it's definitely. I would definitely say it's a subset of progressives that are attracted to Bitcoin in this way. You know, I don't think all progressives are, you know, that like opposed to the state or aspects of what the government is doing. I think it used to be part of that, you know, in the last 10 years, you, there was more concern around privacy and surveillance on the left, internet freedoms. And some of that, a lot of that has been lost, I think, in amongst the progressive consciousness. So I feel like these people are the ones that remember uh, Occupy Wall Street and remember what the recession was about and lived through that and are still angry about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I I feel like unfortunately over the last handful of years there has been uh, a new subset group who uh, they're angry about stuff and they felt their way of uh, dealing with that is shouting down and silencing people. Uh, cancelling people yeah. rather than debating it through and talking it through. Uh, I don't think, mm-hmm. I don't consider them real progressives. Um, I think, I don't even know what I consider them, but they're, they need defeating and their weapons of uh, debate need defeating because they're stopping debate. <laughs> and it's not very useful. And I think it's scarred the left quite badly mm-hmm. over the last few years. Yeah, I don't identify with the left anymore at all. I'm, I'm, I, I don't, I would, I, I would, I'm not comfortable with the label liberal. I'm not comfortable with the label progressive. Mm. Um, I think I, I was at one point, but, um, 
I don't know, maybe it's partly Bitcoin's influence, but I think mostly it's not. It's mostly about living inside of that movement and feeling like, wait a minute, this isn't who I am or what I believe in. Yeah. So um, while you're identifying a movement inside of Bitcoin and you're using this term, which we ourselves use, like progressive Bitcoiners, I think a lot of us who are friends and feel the same way about Bitcoin um, feel have a range of feelings, but some of them share my, my sentiments about where the mainstream left is now. Uh, and don't identify with it any longer. So there isn't really a good term for us. Mm-hmm. We're like Bitcoiners who have classical, share kind of classical values with what used to be termed the, the political left, <laughs> something like that, or concerns. You know, our goals, our ambitions are, are, are similar, um, but just don't culturally or for various reasons kind of identify what's going on with the movement now. Yeah, I, yeah. and I want to would say too that I think even within the progressive movement itself there is a little bit of a identity crisis because I had this conversation several months ago with a friend who is the executive director of one of the biggest progressive democratic organizations in the country and he was saying that he was worried that the progressive movement was going to fall apart and I think that this has probably already happened. I think that there's a lot of, uh, uh, you know, uh, just like different groups splintering off, a, a, a lack of cohesiveness around where the progressive movement wants to go, what it stands for. And I think part of it is that there really was a de, de facto leader, which was Bernie Sanders. And Bernie is now really become very well integrated with the establishment Democratic Party and is not really showing that leadership anymore. He immediately endorsed Joe Biden for re-election and the progressives in the House, like AOC, the squad, right, they're, they've also fully integrated into the Democratic Party and are going along with that overall messaging, even though every now and then you hear them push a little bit, push back a little bit. And I think that loss of leadership has left the progressive movement a bit disoriented and these splintering off are happening. And so some of them are moving towards this, what you were describing, like a more authoritarian direction of silencing opponents of this, you know, top down, we have to do things, you know, you have to fall in line in a certain way. And if you don't agree with us, you're the enemy. And, and then there's others who deep down, sense that that is not the right direction. And I think those are the people who are really feeling lost. And it's not just like lost in terms of like, do you have like a home in a different particular group? And I think the Bitcoiners who came out of that movement are like us. And we are, I mean, I feel it too. Like, oh, I don't really, you know, identify with the direction this is going. And, And those are people also like Matt Taibbi, who was, you know, like a darling of the left for a long time as an investigative journalist. Others like Katie Helper, who is associated with him. And I think, you know, these were people who were always critical of the Democratic Party. And that was really popular. It was okay to be critical. And since I think the pandemic, it's become very strongly, uh, uh, the feeling is very strong that you you can't be as critical as you used to be. So I think it's not just us in the Bitcoin space who are feeling this detachment or loss of, you know, am I part of the progressives anymore? But I think even 
outside of that, there is this this thing happening, this shift happening. And it's also, you know, on the right as well, there's an authoritarian shift as in a different direction and these populist movements. So, yeah, we're just like one part, <laughs> one representation of, of all the stuff that's happening, especially in the U.S., well, there's two two points I would raise on that. The first one being, I think there's just a political trap, mm-hmm. and I I can imagine not knowing how the corridors of DC work, but to get anything done, you have to fall in line with your party. And so Bernie, yeah, Bernie probably could have become president. I disagree with a lot of his policies. I think he is a bit too socialist, but at the same time. I don't dislike him. The G, uh, it's the DNC didn't give him the nod when he was probably the better candidate over Hillary Clinton. Hmm. And so what does he do? Fight them and get nothing done or fall in line and get things done? And then I think the other point is, you know, Trump threw a, a massive, yes, massive hand grenade into politics and I felt probably a lot of people just for fear of him being re-elected Mm-hmm. again fell in line but i think that's just a trap of politics I, mm-hmm. yeah I, I identify these left and right positions but i think what's really good in bitcoin is that actually there's there's a lot of cohesion whether you're historically left or right if you're a bitcoiner you know we're sat here but we could equally have somebody who's maybe more from the right and we'd all have a great conversation maybe disagree on certain points but we have an anchor to work together on outside of politics sorry outside of that in the political world Whatever the topic is, it's like, okay, the, the left think this, the right think this, and we're going to fight on it. I, I don't see, well, the only thing I've actually seen some kind of bipartisan support is actually against what we do, which yeah. is ironically, <laughs> yeah, so they've come together to fight us, yeah. and I think people have come together to fight them, and yeah. I, I, I see that as a positive. Yeah, I, I think a positive is that I'm just less political than I was. Like, I don't think yeah. in terms of politics anymore. I mean, when I denied those labels, it's not because I've shifted on the political spectrum. It's because I've, I, I guess I think politics is less relevant to my life and less, I see it less in a less hopeful light. I mean, I've, I've been burned by politicians my entire life, so I wasn't exactly hopeful to begin with. But it's kind of like, okay, you're going to do your thing. The machine's going to operate. I'm busy building something else. I'm working on something else, a different system that's better. And it'll keep you in line. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? I, I, Bitcoin gives you a way to act in the world. Yeah. Influence reality. That it's apart from the political channel. If you think about young people who are frustrated, like Occupy Wall Street, what can you do? Go out and hold a sign and say, the system sucks. It's unfair. And then you have talks about what you should do next. And those talks don't go anywhere. Bitcoin is a, like, a real thing that has real influence in the world. And you know it's real because we're getting pushback. Yeah. Right? Uh, we're getting fought in a way that these, like, fringe youth groups that the protest groups, they just get pushed to over a few blocks from the banks that they're protesting or the meeting of world leaders or whatever. You know what I mean? The the, the riot police just kind of shove them over to the corner. Life goes on. Like it never existed. It never happened. I mean, what what came out of Occupy Wall Street? Like what what actually came of it? Do, Do we change any systems for real? No. So, so Bitcoin is kind of like, yeah, that's because they were trying a political action. And I'm not saying political action never succeeds. I mean, like, it obviously does. And we have lots of examples of that, you know, 
Gandhi, <laughs> but, but like it, it's not, it, it, Bitcoin is something, it's something different. It's an opt-in system you can invite other people into. You can disempower the corrupt political system rather than entering as a player and pretending that you have influence when you don't really, you know? So it just feels more honest as a way to engage the world. Bitcoin is a political act though. So you're just not sure. engaging in the political system, but you're, you are being political by deciding to use Bitcoin, build on Bitcoin, create economies around Bitcoin, you know, mine with Bitcoin, mine Bitcoin. Like, I think all of that is a, a political act and it's, you know, it's a, it's an act of defiance. It's, it's a political statement and you are voting with your money in yeah. a way. So it's a bloodless revolution. It's just a different, it's just a different way of getting your yeah. politics well, out there. One of the tricks of politics, I've been sucked into it and burned by it recently and in the past. And um, but one of the tricks of politics is that when you pick a side, you're part of the bureaucracy, and the bureaucracy is an animal that continues to grow. It continues to steal. Uh, it continues to oppress. It only gets worse as it gets too big. It's that old economic uh, model of diseconomies of scale. It just gets too big, so we can't operate well. But what we don't have is, you know, we have that push left to right that this thing grows. We don't have big to small push, but the big to small push is actually the libertarians and the Bitcoiners. The Bitcoin thing is that, okay, this is a way, we're never going to change it within it, but outside of it, you can hopefully do the thing that that gives you, that kind of shrinks it again. That's my hope. Yeah. Yeah. Great, we're done. All right, let's yeah, go. I, I agree. Yeah, good, good show, man. Shrink this, you know, shrink the state as much as possible. Yeah. Crush it. And <laughs> I, I, I always, yeah, we were really, we talk in left and right in terms of trying to appeal to people, and we we, we yeah, majored over the last year on left left wing people, progressive yeah. liberals, whatever, whatever character. And we did it for the reason is that you we didn't want Bitcoin to be something that was only understood by the right. I think it's really important, and I think it's taken a little bit longer for people from the left to understand it, but you notice they have, and then they come into Bitcoin, and maybe they do what you do. They're like, well, fuck the politics, but I'm mm -hmm. here for the Bitcoin. And so I think that's a really good thing. And now it's like, how do we, it's like, let's bring everyone together. You know, let's get Jason Meyer sat down with Ted Cruz. <laughs> <laughs> Very funny. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how Washington calcifies. You know, it's pretty, it is pretty tribal there. We were at the Bitcoin Policy Summit, whatever, was that a couple Paul, weeks ago? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, in the April 25th, I yeah. think it was. How was it? Oh, it was, it was amazing. Great. Amazing event. And so uh, props to David, and Zell, Grant. and Grant uh, for, for putting together uh, really a first-of-its-kind event um, just on Bitcoin and why it matters and with a range of policy people there, um, staffers, people from the agencies, people from the bureaucracy, and, and lawmakers, um, so, you know, it's just what needed to happen is like a serious conversation, which was really just about Bitcoin with with uh, the DC establishment. Um, yeah, it was it was terrific, but it's hard not to to notice, even though like Biden's campaign manager was there, but the politicians who were there were, there you know, was, uh, Tom Emmer. It was um, Cynthia Lummis. Cynthia Lummis, Ted Cruz. The ones we already have. The Republicans. Um, oh, there was a former congressman, uh, 
Right, Tim Ryan. Tim Ryan was there. Democratic That's Party. right. Tim Ryan was there. He's part of the new Bitcoin uh, Policy Institute Action. That's right. Group. So, so the right the, we did have representation, but it's it's like Bitcoin Policy Institute. I feel like is fighting hard to not let it be captured and completely politicized, but they're fighting um, a really difficult battle because uh, you know when when Elizabeth Warren is raising an anti crypto army, right. yeah. then it's very hard for her colleagues. To uh, to push back and say, actually, this thing might actually be you know, like actually helpful for some of our goals. You, you know, it, it's naturally aligning um, left right, and and our hope is kind of that we keep it neutral or not neutral, but really multifaceted in its appeal, and that the people who go extremely hard against it will overextend themselves and then extend beyond the, where the population is and extend where beyond beyond where their members of their parties are and 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 where the state government is right and because they're out there <laughs> but I, I if i if i had to bet on it i would say we fail and it becomes completely politicized <laughs> just because you don't bet against the culture war it swallows everything yeah. right it, it, you know it, 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 we're going to do what we're going to do try to fight it you can see the reality is that Bitcoin does not align with the current culture war in any particular way at all. It's so much, I, I think, bigger than that. This show is brought to you by Unchained. Now, events, exchanges and traditional banks over the last year have been an important reminder of how critical it is for you to take control of your private keys. But listen, I know for some of you, this can be daunting, which is why our friends at Unchained offer a personalized concierge onboarding service. Now, I've personally been through the process and I've now set up the vaults for my football team, Rail Bedford. And okay, I've got a personal recommendation here. The multi-sig solution which Unchained have created is so easy to use. They also ship you the required devices and walk you through this step-by-step -step so you understand exactly how the vaults work. After you set up, Unchained continues to provide you with regular support to help you get comfortable with controlling your keys. Now, if you've been putting off taking control of your Bitcoin wealth, Unchained's concierge onboarding is a simple way to get started. So book your onboarding today at unchained.com forward slash what Bitcoin did, which is U-N-C-H-A-I-N-E-D.com forward slash what Bitcoin did. And at the checkout, you can get $50 off with the promo code what Bitcoin did. Next up today, we have Wasabi who I am using to keep my Bitcoin private. Now, Wasabi is the easiest way for you to send and receive Bitcoin privately. And even for non-technical people like me, it is effortless and it provides privacy by default. With Wasabi, there is no minimum amount, so you can start coin joining straight away. And Wasabi users make coin join transactions together with BTC Pay and Trezor users. And BTC Pay server users can make payments in coin join, which saves on fees and is a privacy improvement. Also, Wasabi have just dropped a new feature. Now, Trezor Suite users can make coin joins directly on the hardware wallet, which is obviously very cool. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to wasabiwallet.io, which is W-A-S-A-B-I-W-A-L-L-E-T dot I-O. Also, today we have BitCasino. Now, BitCasino was established in 2013 and is the world's first licensed Bitcoin casino. It is trusted by tens of thousands of players worldwide, and they not only have cutting-edge security, but they offer fast withdrawals and VIP experiences that money can't buy. BitCasino also has over 2,800 games and tournaments for you to try out. And with their 24-7 live chat support, you can always get help if needed. Now, if you want to find out more about BitCasino, the first Bitcoin casino to win an EGR award, head over to bitcasino.io, 
which is B-I-T-C-A-S-I-N-O dot I-O. And please remember to gamble responsibly. There isn't a natural fit in the cultural war because, because it's money. But what, what I have seen is that uh, I think I, I can see where it will because we see what DeSantis has done in Florida with regards to CBDCs. What, what was the law they... Didn't they put a law in this? Like, uh, they said they wouldn't, yeah, they wouldn't accept CBDCs within Florida. Yeah. yeah. Which I don't know what happens if the federal government decide to do one, what, what that challenge is. But I could see a scenario where multiple states push back on this. I mean, Texas would be another obvious one, yeah. Wyoming. I think they understand and see the dangers of it. Um, whereas I could then see... Uh, Maybe more from the left, they would see no. They wouldn't want to argue for CBDCs in that you know this is better way to you know distribute money to the poor. Some kind of bullshit around right. that. Some kind of lie. And then you know, as a rejection of CBDCs, yeah, you know, the red states yeah. maybe say, no, what we need is Bitcoin. This is what we should be doing. So I could I could see it becoming that fight over because it's such a fight. Like it's all it's it's the desire to win the election has become more important than the desire to serve the electorate. There is a, there is like a progressive economic backing to that idea, I would say, because Yanis Varoufakis, who is an economist and was uh, part of, I think Syriza was the party in Greece, and he is supporting CBDCs. And he legitimately thinks that they can handle the privacy concerns. But it's because he he believes in a Green Keynesian solution to the economic issues. And the one that he thinks will solve both the issues around climate change and also uh, the economic issues around income inequality and being able to provide certain, you know, services through government for the majority of people or, you know, those, you know, like healthcare, education, housing. So I think you're, you're right. I think that there is a political alignment amongst progressives for CBDCs just seeing how influential Yanis Varoufakis is as the, you know, founder of Progressive International and DiEM25. And, you know, he's got people in his coalition like Noam Chomsky and Bernie Sanders. So, yeah, I think in that sense, you could definitely see, you know, more Republicans supporting Bitcoin than Democrats, at least on the progressive side, just because there is an economic push towards CBDCs. It's a shame they don't understand how wrong they are, though. Mm, yeah. I mean, I just, <laughs> I just taught this class on the philosophy of money, and so I can't help but see it in these terms. I mean, the, the big debate about whether money is a medium of exchange and some real thing, like a commodity, uh, like gold or Bitcoin, that really provides um, an accounting mechanism to facilitate trade or, and, and, and therefore kind of the ideal money would be money that maximizes the efficiency of exchange. And that sort of arise, comes with a picture of history in which money arises naturally to solve the problem of coincident wants and facilitate trade. So it's this kind of natural thing that exists in the world, even though all money is a fiction, it, it behaves as, as if it's a, 
a constraint on human behavior and something that coordinates human behavior. Um, and then the picture of money as debt and as originated and controlled by governments in its essence. And that's something that's a social convention made up by us. It's just debt. Like you owe me one, mm -hmm. one what? Um, and when you say what you've invented money and, um, that picture of money as debt and as a, a mere social convention just leads naturally into MMT, I think, mm -hmm. um, because if it's just a social convention, then let's make it serve social ends. If the government is always responsible for creating money by its very nature, um, then why not let money serve social ends rather than pretending it's some kind of natural constraint on human behavior? Um, and then... Once you're in MMT land and you think money is just debt and it's all made up and it's social conventions, then CBDCs seem completely natural as a, just a simple technological device to, to, do, to do money the best way you can do it, to make the best money. Just use the best uh, technological solution, which would be the people who are responsible for money's existence, the government, and for its supply uh, should just control its, its distribution um, it, 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 its exchanges, et cetera, right? So it, 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 there's a neat package here. And then that package can just get picked up and has been picked up by, by the left. Um, it's, not, it, it's not just, oh, it serves our aims, but it's also there's an entire philosophical history that rejects neoclassical economics, mm -hmm. rejects the, and, and then you have up against that, Bitcoin is this resurgent barbaric <laughs> relic of gold, but now yeah. in digital form. Um, you know, and, and it's, it's like anathema. It, 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 it's a narrative violation. It must be squashed, right? Because it challenges, it's like, wait a minute, we thought we'd have this figured out. Money's just debt. It's created by governments. What is this medium of exchange commodity thing coming back? That's disgusting. Kill it. Right? <laughs> um, but it seems to threaten, threaten um, the, 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 the powers that people who, people who aspire to fix the world, um, uh, you know, imagine themselves having. So it, 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 it sparks a fear response. And I well, think we're seeing that. It threatens a lot of things. It threatens yeah. control. It threatens power. You know, it can th threatens narrative. It, you know, it threatens careers. It's, it's a threat to a lot of things, but it's a really unthreatening thing that you can just leave alone. But you'll stay poor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of that. <laughs> I think it, I think its main issue is I, I think Bitcoin has an image problem. Yeah, you know, full transparency. When people are like, "What do you do? I have a podcast?" They're like, "What's it about?" Mm. Oh, it's Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Like I sometimes feel a bit yeah. embarrassed because I not because I'm embarrassed about what I do. I know what they're gonna think. <sighs> okay. Yeah. You're one of those. You're one of those guys. We both experience this all the time. In daily life. Yeah. yeah. So I end up telling us. Well, I hide all up, my Bitcoin stickers in my apartment when people come over. <laughs> I end up telling a story. I was like, so I, I try and like reverse engineer. I say, no, it's an economics podcast, but I look at the uh, economics, human rights, and politics through the lens of a fixed limit currency. And then what do you mean? I was like, well, there's this like fixed limit digital currency. And that's really important. Like the most important, yeah, the most important part of it is that it's a fixed limit because, because yeah, you, know, you know what it's, you know, the government's printing money and that's causing inflation. And they're like, oh, I didn't know that. It's like, yeah, it's a government printing money because they just can't. Like if you had a money printer in your bedroom, you could just print, would you? I was like, yeah. So, like, well, that's what the government does. And, but that, that essentially leads to theft from us. And, this thing's called Bitcoin. 
<laughs> no wonder we'd have more listeners. Yeah. <laughs> That's how you're selling it. <laughs> well, this it's the age-old debate. It's like you know, there, there'll become a time. It doesn't doesn't. I don't know if it's next week, next year, but we will rename the show and we'll take Bitcoin out of it because we th- we want to create Bitcoiners and we think we're serving Bitcoiners. We want to serve future Bitcoiners, and so absolutely taking it out and talking about interesting subjects and just mentioning Bitcoin occasionally might get people interested. The same reason people harass Joe Rogan. When are you going to have Sailor on Rogan? Because they really want a bunch of people orange-pilled. Right. I mean, I, I think you're cringing for a good reason. That's your your spidey sense telling you you're not going to get anywhere. You're going to create like a defense defensive reaction if you lead with Bitcoin. And, and why is that? Well, it's complicated. It, it, it's the world we live in right now. I mean, that is the reality. It, it, it's the same for energy, the energy space. Yeah. Right? How many of these companies that Margo and I talk to are like, yeah, we do flexible load. Um, you know, we, we bring the load to to the generation. Um, you know, it's flexible compute. I don't know if you saw the Crusoe uh, ESG report mm-hmm. recently. No. But like they, they mentioned Bitcoin, but it's mostly just, flexible data centers and then you know bitcoin is just sort of slides in there and that's how they got it through the world economic forum right which featured crusoe as this technological kind of breakthrough for climate data centers are doing for the planet so it's like across (laughs) it's not just you in this field it it, it's me and philosophy of money i you know i mentioned bitcoin just like at the it was like the last part of my course of course it was the driving telos of the course it was the end but it's throughout We, we know in order to speak to a broad audience, we have to hide the ball a bit and we shouldn't have to, right? I mean, we shouldn't. Like, that's bizarre that we do, but it's the world we live in. Well, I, and again, I think there's multiple reasons. That. I think firstly, some people are like, yeah, well, I heard about this like five years ago. I didn't buy any and now I'm pissed off, so fuck your Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, right. Or they've seen some bullshit from the likes of DeFreeze or whoever, some fad. They, they've been convinced that we're melting polar bears that's the one i face yeah and there's just all these different narratives and it's like it's it's so boring it's so boring (laughs) well it's it's so great to hear troy give this advice now but the advice that troy gave me last year was the exact opposite (laughs) which was oh well troy told me to we it's not all choice fault. Yeah, we had, a, we had a lot of conversations about this. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was the... the this on me now. No, it wasn't choice fault. No, I uh, wrote a thesis proposal around Bitcoin, and, and then there was a section about why me. And I was talking with Troy about this. He was like, yeah, just tell him everything you're doing so he knows that you can do this. And so I was like, yeah, okay, type, type, type all the things I've been around the world. I've been on podcasts. I've written all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. And then uh, that did not go well <laughs> with my advisor. He hated it. Uh, yeah. He said I could not do anything. No Bitcoin. I could only do what I was working on with him. And why? Why? Yeah. I don't know. But he, he said absolutely not. Yeah, he was, He, I don't know, it made him really angry. Bitcoin does make some people angry. It, yeah, it made him really angry. 
And then, yeah, and then he took my funding away. <laughs> Who the fuck is this guy? I mean, can, can I say, first of all, you know, there are two people sitting in this chair. Mm-hmm. The one is Margot. The other is Jin Urso. Oh, yeah, <laughs> on Twitter. Uh, and, uh, well, yeah, well, okay. But you are both of these people. Yeah, I'm One both. of them is... Um, they're 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 just entirely different. It's like a, you're like a superhero, like, I mean, you like, have, like like Eminem and Slim Shady. Yeah, <laughs> except I don't I don't know how to rap. So. so I was like, the person you're telling me about is Margot is like having some disagreements with the, her advisor, and she's in this like advisor advisee relationships are complicated and can often be like this, where you're, it, it's really like uh, exploitative labor a lot of the times. Like sometimes it can be literally exploitative. And sometimes it's just like in that gray zone. But you're in this subservient position because you depend on your advisor for basically everything. You need a good letter. You need you need their support for your research. And that's always abused. And so I'm watching Jin Urso just take the, the Bitcoin world by storm. I think Margo is amazing and an incredible addition to this space. But also working with Margo behind the scenes and she's meticulous with... Uh, reviewing literature and critique. I mean, she's just smart, super sharp, super careful, like everything you want in a researcher, uh, works incredibly hard, writes well, is is kind of gifted across the sciences and the humanities, right? I'm like, you're amazing. And the community recognizes it. Margo has like a lot of fans in the UK. Margo has fans. <laughs> Actual like, fans. Yeah. Actual fans. And I'm like watching her kind of suffer under the thumb of this abusive advisor and at the same time I'm watching her flourish and be beloved and fighting her fighting really hard against so like it's kind of from all sides Margot takes it from all sides including this being stalked yeah. but um <laughs> you know I'm watching this and it's just frustrating and my impulse of course I was like do what you want to do Margot do what you want to do but it's hard to watch somebody get exploited who is this kick-ass in real life and and I wish your Jin Urso side or just empowered and 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 I feel like uh yeah that didn't go so well because people who are in, in power don't want to give 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 up that control. Can't, can't, can't you tell this advisor to go fuck himself and uh, go and do your own thing? Well, oh, well. I kind of did <laughs> in the end. It's kind of what happened. Yeah. But it was it was really really difficult. I mean, I basically was ready to give up everything I was doing in Bitcoin for my advisor because I really wanted my PhD and I told him at one point, I said, fine, I love this, but I'm going to stop doing it because what we're working on is important and I want to finish this model. And he was like, good. But that was uh, before he told me he was going to take all my funding away. And he lied to me. Um, It's my opinion that he lied to me. My sister's a lawyer. She said, I don't want you to be sued for defamation. So it is my opinion. It's my feeling that he did. Uh, You know, that's not a fact. It's just an opinion. And uh, yeah. It's a great situation. So I think that he kind of used me to finish something to get some funding for the group. And then when I succeeded at that, he didn't really have any use for me anymore. And he sounds like a dick. And, Absolutely. And, that is, that's my conclusion. Total dick. And I was like, just trying to find ways to please him, but that wasn't quite working. So yeah. So in the end I had to have a meeting with him in the department and I tried to get him to agree to this contract between advisor and advisee and he refused. And I, 
said he was lying about something. <laughs> and he was like, you can't make me be her advisor. And he brought my thesis proposal, the Bitcoin thesis proposal. He brought it to the <laughs> meeting with him. I was so shocked. Like, what did I do? Like, what did I say in that that offended you so much that you literally came to the meeting with this in your folder and you're, you know, he had like, he opened the folder, he had like random papers on one side and on the other side he had the Bitcoin proposal in there. And I managed to like put him in a position where he couldn't really make me look bad. And so he never got <sighs> to it, but yeah, I was, he was like, you can't make me be her advisor and I want to leave goodbye. And that was the end of, that was the end of uh, so he my quit. research. Uh, yeah. I mean, he quit me. He quit <laughs> basically you. said, I'm not going to be your advisor anymore. Uh, Sounds so. like the best scenario. Yeah. So then what happened? So then I went on leave from the university very suddenly because I found out that I didn't have funding on the day that I was expecting for my stipend to be in my bank account. And I went, you know, I went to, to the finance office and was, was like, hi, uh, I didn't get paid. I think there was an error. And it turned out, no, he explicitly said he was not supporting you this semester. It was a total shock. And uh, so all of a sudden I had no money. I had, you know, an apartment contract and lease and it was in Atlanta like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do now? And I have to go on leave because the university, and there was a, there was an error where I thought I had a GRA and it was somehow I got, a, a you know, my, like all of my stipe, my tuition had been covered with a tuition waiver. And then it turned out that was an error. And so I was uh, unenrolled from the university automatically overnight once they made the correction and didn't warn me. I lost my health insurance. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. And she got rugged. I got rugged. rugged. Massive. Rugged it was a massive shitcoin experience. I got rugged by my advisor. And, and so I was like, well, I gotta do something. So I have, I've been on leave and I'm still uh, doing, you know, I'm doing Bitcoin research. I'm still, I'm like, totally focused on that now, which is really great. Uh, that makes me really happy starting to do some consulting work with a couple, well, with, definitely with one mining company, I just signed a contract with them and hopefully we'll be doing more with another company down the line. You ain't never going back. And, <laughs> and, and I got an offer to finish my thesis at the University of Oxford, but I, that wouldn't be until 2024 because I still have to go through the formal application process. Oxford, UK? Yeah. You didn't get any help from Melton, did you, with that? No. It was, I'm no. sure she There's talks there. No, no. secret Bitcoiner. Yeah. It, climate scientist, secret scientist Bitcoiner. Say no more, Margo. Oh, yeah, I can't say not jeopardize more. this thing. It, but we don't know. A hero. I love this person. We don't know. I mean, it, it's all up in the air. There's there no are... guarantee that this will really happen, but it was nice to get that offer. So, so, do you, so, yeah. so I can't say. I'm... But you, is it the funding you need to finish your PhD or do you need a university as well? I, I, well can, can you finish independently? I can finish it. I could finish it at Georgia Tech. I need an advisor. Although I think if I, you know, if I like just show up to some advisor and be like, look, I've got these three papers outlined. I don't really need much help. And if I have my own funding, that's even better. How much is the funding? It's like 30,000 a year. I mean, how many more years? Uh, well, it depends on where I end up, but uh, I would like to say one year to finish up, to put this thesis together. I mean, uh, we'll give you that. 
Like, I said, this is exactly what we said in the last interview. Like, I know, I know, like if you need, and I had to stop that because my advisor, so I couldn't, I couldn't even do that that research I wanted to do because what's the, I was what's the thesis of the PhD? You, you got to tell them about the thesis. Yeah, what is because the it's a pretty cool proposal. This thing that was brought to the meeting. Oh, that one. Yeah. So, well, there were kind of like two things to that because I gave this whole sort of philosophical, ecological economic background to it to build up the story and so that was like all that was all housed in framed under ecological economics and basically asking the question is bitcoin a money that works within the realm of ecological economics and so that and then from there i built out like the actual thesis question which was around which was based off of what gridless is doing in in on the african continent like in kenya and other yeah. places zambia and this, you know, trying That's to good. understand whether uh, monetizing all of this baseload is sustainable. And then what does that look like? So, like, both, you know, sustainable both in terms of the climate side, right? You know, what are the climate impacts, like regional climate impacts on all of those water resources? Because it's hydropower and these are many hydropower plants. And then the other is, like, is it monetarily sustainable? Because there's a lot of... There's a lot of variables in, that go into play here in terms of the hash rate, the difficulty adjustment, and the question is, you know, what happens if you do scale this out? Uh, can it handle, you know, uh, increases in difficulty adjustment? Can it handle decreases in price or like, you know, constant price or price increases or, you know, all this other hash rate coming on elsewhere? Can it compete? And, and sustain it over X number of years before you then can connect all of the, the communities that are there. Because the idea with Gridless is that you need a way to monetize this baseload until the, like the actual people off takers, the residents and businesses have you know, have refrigerators, have washer and dryers, whatever, and have the connection to the grid. Uh, until that point, you need something, you need a buyer, right? So th this is a really important question. Like you have to model the network and it, it doesn't just apply to gridless. It can apply to landfills. And that's the other thing I've been doing is I, I have some preliminary, preliminary results on this landfill life cycle assessment that I've been doing with Harold Router, which is, you know, can fit into that. And that model can also answer questions around you know, landfill mining. So yeah, so that's kind of the idea of what I had presented and my advisor hated it. <laughs> Can I just stop, stop you? So I, I think- Why? Uh, Did you give a reason why you hated it? Uh, oh, no, well, okay, first, which was fair, he said that I kind of added on his mo mo model sort of like as an afterthought, which was true. <laughs> <laughs> but I told him, I said, look, it doesn't have to be this, but this is the general idea. Uh, and yeah, and so he said that that was one reason, but then he never actually did give me reasons why he, in the end. Marco, he, you've yeah. got to complete this. <laughs> if you can't get the money, we will give you the money. Oh, I've like okay. said to you that you last time, and I stand by that. If you can't get the money, come to us, we'll get you the money. But you've got to do it. Yeah. But let's see what's happening with Oxford. If it doesn't work out, come back to us. Okay. Well, yeah. Oxford, I have to apply in the fall. So for now, I'm enrolled for three units in the fall at Georgia Tech. I don't have an advisor, but I'm still working on my research in working in the industry. And does the advisor have to be at Georgia Tech? I think I have. I think the handbook says I need three 
people on my committee from the department. So okay. I'm in the civil and environmental engineering department. So I don't know. I have to go back and look and see, do I really need one of those advisors, one of those people, like, be my advisor and in the department? I don't know. But, the yeah, I have to find somebody. But if I had my own funding, basically, to fund my GRA, then then it's a lot easier because I can just say, look, you just need to supervise me. And I have people I'm collaborating with and I basically know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and you don't have to take any risk on me, which is, I think... It's thirty thousand dollars. This that's that's not hard to get. Yeah. We will it's get like you that. One Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Per year. We will get you that. You just tell us when you need it and we will make that happen. Okay. <laughs> but I said this to you a year and a half ago know, and you didn't come back to me, which is cool. Because I had I for one thing. I was trying to make sure the data was there. And there are issues with the data that I need for ERCOT because of the way miners participate. You know, they're not all participating in the demand response program. Some of them are just doing uh, price response and they're not, in, you know, actually enrolled. So that data is not publicly available. You have to go to each of those mining companies to do that. And we made some progress on that. But then the other thing was that I was really trying to make my advisor happy. So I was trying to focus on my research with him and do That's, the things he asked me to do and it didn't work out. <laughs> it doesn't sound like that should what the role between an advisor and advisee is. It shouldn't be them <laughs> trying to make you you make them happy. It should be them supporting you in delivering your thesis you're so naive peter yeah peter. i know i'm naive I mean, <laughs> but like that's how but that's how i imagine you would slave. be of course <laughs> of course i would and that's also why i'm very unusual <laughs> in the academy i mean it, it's a system of ring kissing it's so fiat i hate to say mm -hmm. that but it's true <laughs> um I, I mean i don't i don't mean the entire academy i mean the structure of labor um, uh, it's like a feudal it, it, system. It's a feudal system, right? It's, it's the opposite of a free market because if you have problems with your advisor, you you can't you don't actually have a lot of alternatives. You know, you have to kind of convince somebody to work with you, uh, and it's very difficult to switch. And so these stories are not uncommon because of the structure, right? I think what what Margot has just described, you know, the project um, uh, evaluating the gridless model, whether it's sustainable under various price scenarios, whether it's sustainable in the local environment, uh, with water resources, like that is a vital research project for humanity. Of course. Like we're talking about the potential for tens of millions of people, let's say conservatively to, uh, to, to get electricity who don't have it. And we need to ask the question, like, what, what would that entail? Is that realistic? And like, it's, we need modelers. I don't yeah. have modeling skills. I'm just a philosopher, you know? Uh, this, is, this, is, this is kind of a project we desperately need and people aren't doing it. We had Eric Herzman in here yesterday, right? Yeah. Oh, yesterday. 600 million people, he said, in Africa alone. Something like, was it? What is it? One point two billion people don't have electricity worldwide. Worldwide, and he said about six hundred million of them is Africa. My numbers might be slightly wrong, but it was something along those lines. Yeah, yeah. Of course, that is yeah. an important project. Important is an understatement. The problem it's is, like... it's the, it's the leap from magic internet money to uh, small scale mining operations connecting to mini grids in Africa to provide electricity by being the last buyer resort. That's a you got to go on a long journey to go from one to the other. And, and some people just don't want to take that first step. 
like there's like a force field at Bitcoin. They're like, I I'm know, not, I'm not stepping beyond it. Um, and it's it's like every time now somebody says to me, it's like now a good time to buy Bitcoin. I constantly say, <laughs> no, just go and learn about it. That's all you need to do. Yeah. Just go and le- go and read a book, go and listen to a podcast, learn about it. You'll figure out the right time. Just go and learn about it. And he obviously didn't want to learn about it. Mm-hmm. Is he is he like some old fuddy duddy? Like yeah, I've told him I had told him about it before and he was like well what's the point i can just use western union <laughs> he is he's a boomer doesn't want to learn some people don't want to learn he did kind of say he didn't want to learn too, it's <laughs> at fine some point. bitcoin is not for him it's not for him but he he can't see that it, it, it was unfortunate because he did a lot of work he, did, he has done a lot of work in on the african continent 30 years of work and is a missed opportunity for him and i told him i could bring money i could find a way through the industry to bring money to fund us because he's excellent and has excellent research skills, an accident, excellent CV. I mean, he would be an excellent asset to what miners are doing on the continent there. But he but isn't. So he's gone. He's gone. <laughs> See you later. Find the next one. Yeah. I mean, this, this is kind of the big picture is we need studies to help people cross that bridge. Yeah. At the base level, we need model modeling that that shows uh, what what the pace of rollout of, of new generation of electricity is with and without Bitcoin mining and what the impacts are on the local on the local environment like we precisely need that kind of work and then we need ways to make that work accessible and available uh, to, to to policymakers I mean particularly policymakers across Africa right but also uh, aid organizations and other people who are working on energy poverty. So I, I think of it like a stack. I think that the academic work is at the bottom of the stack. That's the most rigorous investigation of the truth that we have. We need rigorous modeling that goes through peer review, et cetera. Um, people don't believe it when it comes from a business. A business says like, we're doing this. Yeah, businesses say a lot of things. Um, and people have been burned by promises, particularly in the crypto world, of we're going to solve X problem with crypto in Africa. We're going to fix X environmental problem. Uh, with crypto, and they're so leery of being pitched for raising, right? That if you if you give them information that's coming from a company, they just discredit it, even if it's real. They're just conditioned to, right? So we we need that base layer. On top of that base layer, we've got like things like BPI, and uh, and and then other forms of communication, right? But yeah, I think it's essential. We don't have a lot of people doing it because of the reputational risk that exists around it. And Margo is like one of the very few, but also. It, it kind of reinforces the reputational risk problem, right? You can yeah. see why other people aren't working on it when you hear the story. This show is brought to you by Iris Energy. Now, Iris is the largest NASDAQ-listed Bitcoin miner using 100% renewable energy. Their strategy is to target markets with low-cost, excess renewable energy, and they build their own highly efficient Bitcoin data centers. They are led by a seasoned management team with a track record of success across renewables, infrastructure, and digital assets. And Danny and I met them recently in Canada and were super impressed with Iris Energy and their values, which align with us, so they're a great fit for what Bitcoin did and you, the listeners. Now, we are going to be working with Iris Energy on everything from the podcast to films to live events, and they're even sponsoring my football team, Rail Bedford. So we're really happy to be working with such a forward-thinking and sustainable Bitcoin mining company. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to irisenergy.co, which is I-R-I-S-E-N-E-R-G-Y.co. Next up today, we have Ledin. From savings accounts to personal loans and even mortgages, Ledin's financial services enable Bitcoiners to experience the benefits of their holdings today without selling their Bitcoin. 
Ledin has a robust risk management strategy and always prioritizes safeguarding clients' assets with no DeFi yield farming. And Ledin only supports Bitcoin and USDC, two of the highest quality and most liquid assets in the industry. They are also dedicated to transparency and are the first digital asset lending company to complete a proof of reserves attestation, which they re-verify every six months. With multilingual support on standby 24-7, Ledin is there to support all your needs. And not only is Ledin a sponsor, I am also a customer of theirs. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to ledin.io, which is L-E-D-N dot I-O. Also today, we have Ledger. Now, Ledger is the world's leader in Bitcoin security, and it's the best way for you to own and secure your private keys. If you are still holding Bitcoin on an exchange or with a custodian, it might be time for you to take your Bitcoin security a little more seriously, because remember, not your keys, not your Bitcoin. Now, Ledger hardware wallets paired with the Ledger Live app are the easiest and safest way for you to start managing your private keys. You can send and sign your Bitcoin transactions with full transparency in the Ledger Live app, and honestly, it couldn't be easier. I've been a Ledger customer since 2017, and I'm still using the same Nano S I bought back then. Now, if you want to find out more or purchase a hardware wallet from Ledger, then please head over to shop.ledger.com, which is S-H-O-P dot L-E-D-G-E-R dot com. So this whole, the whole way the, you call it the Academy? Yeah. Yes, the Academy. Why is it called the Academy? Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's after Plato's Academy. I don't know. It's a good question. I've never thought about it. But the whole kind of like a higher education institution seems to me when I talk to you and I did like, I did an interview with uh, Brett Weinstein once about what happened at Evergreen and Mm. I've noted a lot of different things going on, but it's like, it seems to be an institution of radicalizing people into doing the opposite of what they should be doing, which is thinking, debating, testing, learning, and delivering an answer. It seems to be now radicalizing people around doing the opposite, not thinking, not challenging, and following a very strict set of incentive models to qualify as morons. <laughs> That's what it feels like. There are there are smart people. Very smart people. They're, Trapped. But but I, I think it the academy, the university system is not designed to make people feel comfortable with dissent. I think that you're specifically chosen and 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 hazed, you know, uh and tortured uh because they want people who will put up with so many horrible things uh, just because uh, they want to find, you know, a person who who isn't going to speak up against things that they don't like. And at least that has been my experience. And ha- that's been uh, very difficult for me because I'm not really good at that. <laughs> I am fucking line. burn it all down. Burn, <laughs> and, it, burn all this shit and, down. I think it's, yeah, uh, I basically became a scientist because of Carl Sagan. So when you go from thinking science is like what, you know, this romantic concept that, you know, it's, it's, it's a way of thinking, it's a way of living, it's a way of understanding the world. And then you go to the university, graduate school, and it's not like that. It's a bunch of hoops and there is science, there is good science happening, but, but there's this politics that overlays on top and permeates it. And I think that is what makes it, uh, you know, a really difficult environment for a lot of 
I think creative people and burn that shit and outside down. thinkers. I, I and, disagree. I wouldn't yeah. burn it down. I, would, I mean, look, I saw <laughs> it. Are you a situationist, Troy? I, I saw it with my kids at school. Like, I'll tell you, a, we got Connie, I'll tell you a little story about him. He was doing drama and, uh, and he wanted to, he had to do a monologue and he found this piece he wanted to do it was a historical piece and he was told he, you couldn't do it because you might offend black people in the audience because it was from a from an era of racism hmm. but it was a story talking about the era of racism yeah. so the monologue reflected the period of the time it's it's a piece of art history and he yeah. liked the monologue because there was an actor who had done it what was his name Sherman huh wasn't it? Oh, but anyway, whatever it was, it was like, it was a, and, and it was almost like these people were like, you can't tell this piece of history now because you, if you do, you're going to tell a story about racism. But it's like, this is real and what happened. Yeah. I turned around to Connor and I was like, just tell him, oh, fuck you, I'm not doing anything then. Like challenge him. And, you know, and he didn't want to. And I, th and I understand why, because you, you're not taught anymore now to, to dissent and challenge and yeah, when I was there, we used to have debating classes. You know, we were given that opportunity. It's all gone. Well, there is still vigorous debate in the academy. Let me just de defend the academy <laughs> and also back, back up what you're saying in a way. I mean, there's still vigorous debate in the academy. It's within prescribed limits. Yeah, of course. Right? And those limits have, have definitely sh shrunk. And, and um, I... I I think I think we all recognize where debates like cross a line and become just hateful <laughs> at point at some point it's like you have this refrain which is like why are you debating my right to exist and that has certain applications um i, I don't think we would tolerate a debate on slavery right now for instance mm -hmm. right so we all have some line and that line has just been compressed and uh but but no the the academy is full of smart people and let me just make a case for why we need it we okay. need the academy no but okay? can't you burn it down or rebuild it well, I think that's not going to be easy. I, I guess I've, I found myself, okay, there are weird parallels here with other fiat institutions that I feel very comfortable burning down, but this one I'm inside, and so maybe <laughs> I don't quite want to light it on fire just yet. But you just got out, man. But I'm not really out. You've got to go back in. <laughs> I'm teaching in the fall. Once I get out, they pull me back in. <laughs> Can't escape. <laughs> totally. But let me just tell a little story here. Um, you know, economically, how have we gotten to this point? Why do we live in the modern world we live in here? It's because, and even Plato says this and Aristotle says this, we learn to specialize in trade. And this is Adam Smith too. It's the basis of economic development. You don't do everything yourself. Mm -hmm. You specialize in one thing, you become very good at it. You trade for everything else. Collectively, wealth explodes. I asked one of my econ, econ colleagues a long time ago, like, what are the results in your field? And she was like, well, we have one result that's really solid. And that is that everybody is better off doing the thing they're best at and pretty much nothing else and trading. And that goes for individuals and it goes for nations, mm -hmm. right? And um, I'm like, well, I see the same thing for knowledge. We, we don't try to know everything. I mean, I know you kind of do on the show. No, I don't. <laughs> but there's only so deep you can go, right? Uh, yeah. With each sub subject, you have subject matter experts come in here, do go deep. And then you talk to them and synthesize and make something out of it. But it's like, that's how we got here. Everybody's specializing and learning something like quantum mechanics or, you know, how fruit flies um, reproduce or uh, how, how uh, uh, 
you know, computers work or very, how to make chips. Like imagine trying to do all this shit yourself. It's mm. just freaking impossible. So the, the, the method of dividing knowledge and trading for it is, is the academy. Like that, that's what the academy does. It's the kind of formalization of that specialty in trading. It's a certification of the kind of expertise um, that is in institutionally given where you can trust it. It's kind of like, like the FDA saying, we've inspected this food, it's okay, right? It's not just bullshit artists. This is why we have medicine rather than just people passing down like, hey, this worked for me. You know, we <laughs> so the academy is supposed to be this kind of institutionalization of both the production of knowledge. It's a big knowledge factory. You've got a bunch of knowledge workers producing knowledge widgets, which are then stamped with like quality control and traded. And that is a really efficient way for humanity to progress rather than us do doing it all on our own. What I see happening with the breakdown of trust, which comes from the politicization of uh, of a lot of the of, of intellectual life in the academy that makes people mistrusted who aren't part of that political tribe or even who are they, they don't believe the certification anymore they think the certification just means like I approve it for my political purposes rather than I approve it because it's legitimate knowledge and then they have to do the equivalent of like onshoring basically like we're deglobalizing in production because we don't trust supply chains anymore mm. and because we're worried about war breaking out or disruptions from whatever climate events or whatever weather events in the same way we're like onshoring knowledge epistemically because we're losing faith in these institutions that produced it and in both cases you lose massive amounts of efficiency it's like a step backwards in terms of progress when you go from specializing in trading to having to kind of do everything and inspect everything yourself because you don't have an FDA. So you got to hunt down like the person you trust and ask them, well, what do you think about this, right? That's the equivalent of making everything in America you know, or making everything in your backyard. Suddenly we're all survivalists, but on an epistemic level. So these institutions are vital because they allow us to be most efficient with our um, investigation of the world. Right, and that's how we got here. We wouldn't be living in this world if we didn't have these institutions of trust. And that's why I think, you know, they've got to be reformed. Um, maybe they have to be burnt down. But I would, I would, I think that's kind of like that's kind of like saying, let's just let's just cut off all trade ties and <laughs> d d demolish the institutions of trade and make everything here. Like that's a radical move. I think I think if the reform comes, it comes from the fact that people will just naturally stop going to university. Um, I mean, there is a real big discussion and debate around AI. I'm, you know, lots of new things come along and you jump on the bandwagon and talk about it for a while. But like AI now is blowing my mind constantly. It's awesome. Uh, and I look at my daughter, she's a 13 year old at school, and I'm thinking, the next five, six, seven years of your schooling might be wasted because we're teaching you for a world that won't exist in seven years. And we should be teaching you for that world. What are the tools and skills she's going to need in seven years in a world which has is dominated by AI and automated systems? But now you're speaking my love language. Yeah. Because I, <laughs> I, I think this is exactly the question. I mean, this is why I love AI, really, because it is forcing us to de-bullshitify education. Yeah. Because these are exactly the questions we need to be asking. Well, why weren't we training people all along? Dude, there was a TED talk. In the talk. way that answers to this question. There was a TED talk years ago. Sadly, the guy's died now. Where He went on, he was a teacher, and he talked about, about dance. Have you ever seen this guy? Oh. Do you remember this guy? I think you've shown me. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, the, it's the most amazing TED Talk. You should watch it after we've done this, right? And he says, like, some kids want to dance. We should 
teach them to dance. We're going to need dancers. He mm -hmm. said, look how much the world has changed in the last 10 years. It's going to change so much in the next 10 years. And we're teaching kids to remember facts. You know, he was right then. And I swear it was about 10 years ago, this yes. TED Talk. It's even worse now. At best, just say, look, do what you want to do. Just do sports or dance or play with computers. But what, why are we teaching? Uh, the, the maths she does now, I don't use any of that in my life, and I need to use less now. English. There's so many different skills they don't need anymore. But the kid that comes out who's been fucking around with AI for five, six years or playing with computers or has some other kind of decent skill will be set up. Most of them are going to... Going to, I mean, what's going to happen to all these university courses, accountancy practices, when you can count your accounting done by AI? I love it. Yeah, I love it, but it's, it's disrupted. It. Disrupt away. So it might completely disrupt universities. There's no point going to learn this because there's no job at the end of this for but me. So much of universities are not about learning. Like this, this is what you learn on the inside of these institutions is that that teaching and learning is a very small part of the institution. Mm -hmm. What is it? Well, they take the big institutions, they have endowments. They're basically hedge funds <laughs> that get tax breaks because they are educational, right? <laughs> but you know, take something with like a $30 billion endowment, like that's an, edu you know, that's an educational institution. They've only got a few thousand students. Come on. No, but they're also big grant machines. Um, they're taking in grants from, from the government or from, from private sources, producing research. It's sometimes in collaboration with industry, right? So all that stuff just cranks away. So many people in the academy are not teaching anyone. And then you realize tuition doesn't really pay the bills for most major institutions. That's not, that's not what's funding them. So the, no, they're, they're hedge funds. They're, they're invested in Bitcoin, like, you know, like Harvard and Yale are in, in Bitcoin and Ethereum. Like they're, they're going to keep, they're going to survive. They're going to continue uh, providing uh, an education that certifies people as the cool people. A lot of what education does is just it's admissions. If you get in, mm -hmm. you, you, you match some profile um, of, of uh, appropriate person for leadership and jobs. <laughs> and right? management. And management. So with people are, the, the degree is really just certification of your admission. And, and maybe that system will also collapse, but it's still very powerful, right? Just the branding. You're just like, okay, you're Ivy League or whatever. And that means like you're a safe bet. And a lot of that is just, has nothing to do with them actually learning anything. So you can go through all this busy work in four years that doesn't really matter for your prospects, but it shows that you show up, turn papers in, and most of all, you got accepted by that place. Comply. Right. Yeah. If you think of this, it's all wasteful from an economic perspective. Like oh, if that yeah. just went away, like would anybody be worse off? Like you would just have to do a little more work at, 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 at HR in, in recruitment. You'd have to do a little more research yourself and do a better job interviewing, right? So it's just two societies, one of which kind of carries this whole baggage and one of which just has a little bit more beefed up front office of their corporations. That one's going to do better in the long run if it's just bullshit. But it'll still carry on for a long time because of the endowments. Burn and, it down. All right. Burn it all down. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm not like, really defending it, am I? I'm just kind of it piling just, on. You know, it, it creates a, an additional class of people, I think, that are that is designed to maintain the status quo, even, I think, across society. And there's been, you know, 
people who have studied this and it's called the professional managerial class. And, mm-hmm. and there, there was this really great physicist who wrote about, about it. And I can't remember his name, unfortunately, but it's just like this idea that you go through the, the academic system and you get through graduate school, you become a professor or whatever. And you're part of the system in a sense that because your ba- your training is basically not to make waves, not to challenge things, you're you're going to be one of those people that's going to ensure that society doesn't change. I mean, Karl Marx had names for the two groups of people, <laughs> and you're you know, it's, you, it's the same thing holds true at like Goldman. You know, you have to kiss the ring of of the people in, in upper management, and it, it's true of any large organization. Right? It's how tenure is the big breaking point. Well, there are many. You have to get a job. In order to get a job, you have to please your advisor. Your advisor writes a letter for you that's very important for you to get interviews. And, and there, that's the only person who can say whether you can graduate or not. Yeah. Literally, if if they're not happy with you, they will keep you forever Marco, until you give up. Fuck them, get out of this. You're already, you're already a superstar. We already love you. Everybody loves you in Bitcoin pretty much. Yeah. It's part, of the, part from the ones who are reticent to agree into some, some ideas. But like... It just seems like you're. This is a sunk cost, and this is a waste uh-huh. of time. I think you could go and write the exact same thesis, and it just means you won't get some letters after your name. But it's still out there, it's still useful to everyone. And I think you just get on with it, and we'll give you the money to get on with it. And we will support you to do yeah. that. Like, just do what you want to do. I mean, I'm, I'm a terrible advisor, by the way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she's going to blame you in a later podcast. I blame me in a later podcast, but we would support everything you want to do. Uh, emotionally, financially, however much you need, but just, ah, fuck this shit. Yeah, it's torture. <laughs> All right, I'm calling this because we're going to do another one tonight. Troy, listen, love you both. Great to see you. This was awesome. I didn't even look at my notes once. Uh, great conversation. Done. All righty. What do you think of that one? Definitely send me your feedback. And as I said, look, we've been making this concerted effort to have more people from the left side of the political spectrum on the show. Uh, It has triggered some people. Some people have written to us and they've been saying to me in the YouTube comments, why are you having these woke lefties on the show? And look, listen, it's important that Bitcoin is available to anyone who wants to check it out. And the best people to defend Bitcoin against left attacks from the likes of Elizabeth Warren are people from the left who understand Bitcoin. So we think this has been an important topic to cover. We were very happy to support Jason Meyer and his book. I wrote the foreword to that. Please do go and check that out. But yes, getting Troy and Margot on the show to discuss these subjects was super important. I was also really surprised to hear Margot's struggles with the university side of things. Um, so I'll be keeping an eye on what she does. I'm happy to support her. If she can't get funded, we'll fund her. We'll help her out because her work is super important. Anyway, it's sunny here in Bedford. Life is good. Me and Danny are going to be heading out to Nashville and Austin in a few weeks. I'm going to head into Argentina afterwards to make another film, part four of Follow the Money. Can't wait to do that. Anyway, any questions about this or anything else? You know where to get me. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com.